I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Thank you for letting me get that off my chest, Rosa. Yeah, I, I'm no, glad this I, is the space you. to do it. Yeah, this is, this is an unsafe space, but it is a space nonetheless. <laughs> Welcome to Like a Virgin, the show where we give yesterday's pop culture today's takes. I'm Rose Damu. And I'm Fran Torado. And we are going to give literally yesterday's pop culture today's takes because it is Monday <laughs> and we are gonna talk about the gay episode of The Last of Us. So Fran, oh, I God. I was able to convince you to watch The Last of Us and you were yes, now you were. fully caught up. So before we even get into last night's episode, just like yeah. what generally are you feeling about the show now that you've watched it? I am adoring it. Um, I was never like a horror movie genre buff growing up as a kid. However, my cousins and I loved the zombie genre and we thought zombie stories were so cool growing up and I feel like I have this kind of nostalgic attachment to like old school zombie stories. And so when you told me about this show and how it's kind of bringing prestige to like a well-trotted genre, I don't think I ever could have expected what came from it. And I think that this most recent episode, I was able to kind of see what this show does best, which is almost make you forget that it's a zombie show. Like you're the watching zombies it. are used or or the infected as they call them the, the yeah. clickers um, are used very sparingly and yeah. I think like the best zombie media it's more about how people react to a zombie apocalypse how people how humans shape society in the mm. absence of what once existed and mm. from what i know about the game cuz i have consumed a little content about the the game that the show is based on th- um, the main antagonists of the game are humans mm. and zombies are more of like a you know boogeyman kind of like uh like obstacle more than anything yeah, else that so makes sense. so i do i do think you're 
you're right to to note that that like the zombies are like kind of few and far between and it is much more about the very human drama of it all in extreme circumstances and also just like how terrifying and sad survival is as a concept when yes. you're like the la- when you are the last of us right and so like that's what made this third episode so revelatory which like kind of um departs from the main set of protagonists and shows the viewers another story that they're entangled with which is these two like men who i guess find each other uh, yes, kind B- of Bill and Frank, played Bill respectively Frank. by Nick Offerman of Parks and Recreation and Murray Bartlett from season one of The White Lotus. And they both, I mean, we've never seen Nick in a role like this, I don't think. But, like, Murray is so good. The two of them are so good together. And it's also a story that could never have been told before. Like, this is a completely original story that has a ground, like, a kind of foundation in something that is extremely real and present and, and like, just of the moment. Like, I just can't even, like, put words to it. Like, what did you yes. think when you were watching well, it? Um, so to give a little context um, about the this, this story, so this is actually in the game, um... But in the the Last of Us Part One, the first game, Bill is a character who the the like main characters meet on their journey, and uh, apparently you, it's just kind of like a, a throwaway moment where if you like hover over a certain thing, you see a photo of his partner who by the by the time the game happens is already dead. Um, and the creators of the show did talk about this in the um, behind the episode. Uh, Thing that plays on HBO once the episode's done. And they decided to expand that story um, to, you know, like tell Bill and Frank's story because hmm. uh, I think one of them said something interesting, which is like in, in adapting, they only wanted to change things if they could make them better. And this certainly does that. Hmm. Um, I mean, like, I thought it was very beautiful. I also thought it was like, obviously like, seeing gay love on screen is not radical, but what felt um, not what felt exciting about it to me was that this is a show that's being watched by, you know, right. like normie straight people who played this video mm-hmm. game who are obsessed with it. And if they're going to want to watch the show, they're going to have to sit through watching a gay love story. And I, I love that. I think and that's, I think that's like transgressive and I'm sure there's a lot of people who are pissed about it, but I mean, the fact that they, they went so far and like they had this sex scene, which was like, like kind like hot, but also <gasps> romantic and like beautiful and like touching because it's this older man who's never had sex with another man. I like thought was so cool. And I love how Murray Bartlett like immediately clopped him. <laughs> <laughs> Immediately. It was so sexy and fun. And, like, as queer people watching this, we're kind of like, wait, wait, wait. Is this happening? Is this happening? And then, like, for just, like, on the line delivery, like, the two of them were just giving something that is totally unexpected, like, from, like, what the actual script is. And, like, honestly, Murray Bartlett, the way you are able to say, like, 
go take a shower bill and for that to be somehow (laughs) the hottest thing like that like that could not be a better way to say we're gonna fuck you know what I mean he said break out the he said (laughs) he was like that meme of the little dog that said I know what you are he said go go douche go wash your ass (laughs) go wash your pussy bill Um, Murray Bartlett (laughs) the man that you are and I Uh, like I I believe, like, I believed in their attraction to each other. I also believed that, like, of course, in this extreme scenario, Murray Bartlett, like, he's been, like, wandering around the country, like, in the apocalypse. Like, of course, I'm sure he's thinking about, like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna suck this guy's brain out through his dick so that I get to stay in his fortress with this, uh-huh. like, rabbit that he's cooking. And, and I like that part where he said, like, um, I'm not a whore, like, not for lunch, no, like, no matter how good it is. So, like, if we do this, I'm gonna stay here for another couple days. So there is something transactional about it, but then... It Three also, years later. But then it also is still really real. And uh, what killed me was the scene with the strawberries. Ah, when Nick Offerman bit into the strawberry and his little giggle. Oh, my God. I did it's cry. It's so real. I it was did so cry real. It. That was the best part. It's like they're actually, they're both phenomenal actors. And like in the conversation of like gay actors and gay, gay actors and gay roles, whatever. Like, Something we is, know I don't care about. We don't care about, I mean, we care about, but, like, not in the way that other people care about it, right? Like, people have very unnuanced ideas of, like, who should play what. And, like, this is a perfect example where you have talented actors making great work. And I think that Murray Bartlett, as a gay man in this role, bringing a gay sensibility to the role created a foundation for them both to work on, right? Like, this is how you do it. This is how you stick the landing. And you use... Like, you you see your vision and you also are able to bring in a phenomenal, openly gay actor who's really good at what he does to, like, make this even more real. Um, yes. uh, also, as also as my mutual Nolan Anxious Deluxe said on Twitter, um, Nick Offerman is married to Megan Mullally, so he is in a gay marriage. And yes! he's, he's part of the community. <laughs> he is. He's part of the community. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, also, like, I never would have thought about this if I didn't see um, the activist Peter Staley t- tweet about it. But, like, I didn't even register the kind of, like, metaphor of... Of, like a plague in like the story of two mm. gay men specifically like uh, I, I, but like that that the obviously it's not a ham-fisted metaphor slash probably isn't even the intent of the writers but like the fact that they're the the re the realism of them choosing death together and how liberated they both felt in choosing death is so beyond beautiful, especially you and I, Rose. Like, we're morbid bitches. Mm -hmm. And, like, you are a very morbid girl who, like, might die in a cabin one day. You know what I mean? I could could die today. (laughs) And I I feel like that for, for gay men to have survived a plague and to choose death on their own terms is nothing short of a miracle in a zombie plague, let alone in our actual lived reality. It really and I does. that that was so radical. Yeah, it really does, like, um, knowingly subvert the barrier gaze trope while still, like, yeah. kill, like having the gay By yes. having the gays kill themselves. Yes, and, the gays buried themselves. Oh, my God. I, I will be honest in that the, the end of their story, I was not quite as... 
emotional as I had been. Like, for me, the high point of their, like, vignette episode was the strawberries, was was them getting attacked by the raiders. Um, And then the end of it, I, like, I I, I still found it beautiful, but I also thought, like, there was so much almost too much time spent on it and it was a little like indulgent and but I did I liked when um Murray Bartlett's character said like um you know I'm not gonna pretend that it's not like objectively romantic that we're dying together and like yeah that is it 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 was really beautiful and also I mean it was just it was funny too like when Murray Bartlett's like we're gonna make friends and like even in the apocalypse the gays are like we're having brunch I don't give a (laughs) shit that is literally oh my god he's like I've been talking to a nice lady on the radio it's so fucking funny um, someone should I, have I, someone should have like <laughs> given a show, you know. Like, yes, I, wonder, I would watch I, I, bet, I bet Bill and Frank ha- had a drag night at some point. <laughs> you know, like they found a way to like watch old episodes of Drag Race. No, no, and... no, honey, honey, new episodes. You know, Rue is still going through the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> okay, do you okay. do you think? Well, because um, Drag Race like would never would not have happened because the zombie apocalypse started in 2003 so there's no drag race oh my god there's no like marvel cinematic universe oh thank god uh, beyonce so- never had a solo career oh my god wait that's yeah. so much culture wow that's really depressing to think about um i love imagining like this doomsday prepper like uh trying to figure out a way to make lube um <laughs> in the apocalypse um it was i hope they just use coconut oil right like that's like the best if you're in a pinch for like butt sex that is specifically i have not um, i have not yet gone to um archive of our own to check how much fan fiction has already been written about them but i'm sure it's like well okay let's let's see right now <laughs> yeah let's check right now Okay, yeah, Bill, Bill and Frank. There's already okay, there's 26 works. Um let's we'll we'll check back in next week and see how many new ones there are. Okay. Um Okay, yeah, what else? I mean, I, I watched have... a lot this weekend, I feel. Okay, um, tell me, what are you watching? Okay. I don't know what I was on, but I feel like I was really playing catch up because I watched Poker Face, this Rian Johnson show on Peacock. Oh, the one with Natasha Leone. Yes, Natasha Leone among others. So much fun. I would really be curious to know if you like it just because you're a Knives Out stan, but not a Glass Onion stan. And so we have like two different versions of Rian's work. I'm not a Knives Out stan. I enjoyed the movie. But, oh, really? Uh, but, I thought you were a true stan. I feel no, like you, I, I tweeted, really you liked... would not stop tweeting about it when it came out. But maybe I'm... I... I did not... I don't think I tweeted about it that much. It was like a very popular movie that I enjoyed seeing, and that was kind of it. There okay, is a difference okay. between liking something and being a stan. Yes. No, you're so right. I, that's And and standing... To say you're a stan is slanderous. It's it's a misnomer. It is. And um, thank I'm, you for saying that. Thank and you for I'm putting offended. that in place. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I'm interested in watching it because what, from what I've heard is that the episodes are very episodic, and, yeah. and uh, you can kind of like pick and choose the ones you watch but what um like give me your like top view sell me on it pitch me the show yeah so I mean I am a Natasha stan and I will say a a crystal clear stan I adore her even if I stan even though I don't even like Russian Doll that much but like I just love her 
Um, the show follows her, a casino worker, um, getting like raveled up in, getting rolled up in some controversy, um, I guess, with the people that own the casino after they discover that she has this kind of um, superhuman ability to tell if people are bluffing or not, to tell if people are, are lying or not. And like, so, like, it, it's a, is it a superpower? Is it like a magical no, power? No, it's not. It's not a literal superpower. She's just kind of like a. a She's a human lie detector. Yes, it's her um, Sherlock Holmesian quality. Like, okay, right? Like it, every every super de- every palace det- vibes. Yes, it's kind of like every detective has a thing. Remember Cam Jansen? She had a photographic memory. She said, "Click." You know, Natasha Leone. Like Who's her Cam thing is that Jansen. She- you don't remember the Cam Jansen mystery novels? No. I oh, don't, I don't know. So, I don't know what yes. that is. Phoebe's entering the chat. Thank you. This is kind of lesbian. I feel like this is kind of like lesbian canon as Cam Jansen. Okay, like Virgin's- the secret world of Alex Mack where she turned into a puddle? No, it was kind of like Encyclopedia Brown for people that couldn't afford a cy- Encyclopedia Brown maybe. Or like Junie B. Jonesian. But like still some like mystery component. Um, so anyway, she gets reveled up in some controversy and goes on the run for reasons I won't spoil. And while she's on the run, she keeps bumping into like random murder mysteries across the country. And um, it's very absurdist. Okay. Like the fact that she keeps like stumbling upon these murders is totally silly. But when you give your way, get when you give yourself to the kind of reality that they're in, where in she just is constantly stumbling upon these murders that she wants to solve. Um, I personally love it. And I think that the acting is fun. I think the writing is totally slapstick. I think the jokes are really good. And it's not, um, each episode isn't really a whodunit. It's more of a why done it because again, very Rian Johnson, right? Mm-hmm. They tell you who did it at the kind of in like fifteen minutes into each episode, and from there Natasha walks in. It's a very interesting and I think original way to tackle mysteries. So when you do watch it, because I think you will, yeah, I, um, I'm I'm definitely interested in checking it out. Um, once I I'm currently in the midst of my uh, annual my now annual girls rewatch. Right. So, Post well, Allison a- Williams. Well, after that, I think I'm going to try watching Succession because um, I've never watched it and I know it's coming back. And, oh, gosh. Um, I'm going to I'm gonna give it the old college try. Wow. Because um, I keep getting served TikToks about it and Brave. about the, the gays that everyone ships together. <laughs> or, like, not gays, but whatever. They are all kind of gay. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. 
for just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Speaking of TV shows that I watch and you don't, mm-hmm. on the flip side, um, so I watched the now series finale of Gossip Girl last week, and I just <gasps> oh wanted gosh. to. Uh, do you care if I like spoil how it ended? Because you stopped no. watching, right? No, no, no spoilers. I I'm just curious. Like, did the show? And oh, you'll, you I'm don't sure want spoilers? No, I, I no, no. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I don't care about spoilers. Okay. I, I'm just mostly curious about, did, was the show aware that it was getting canceled, or was it a total cliffhanger? Yeah, so um, Joshua Safran, who was the showrunner, who was a writer on the original series, has said that he they originally intended for the episode to be like an hour and 20 minutes, and the last 20 minutes of it, which all take place in Rome, uh, really set up a lot of things for the following season and introduced a new character. And once he kind of saw the writing on the wall, he went in and edited all that stuff out so that it was more of a closed loop at the end. So there, that character still is introduced, and you see a couple things that were probably parts of that story. But for the most part, there's not a ton of actual cliffhangers. There are definitely things that aren't resolved. But the big resolution is that Tavi comes out as Gossip Girl because um, the kids all decide that they want to take down Gossip Girl. And they think that the way to do that is by trying to, like, steal her thunder. So at the Met Gala, um, Zoya, who's the young character, she wears a dress that says I am Gossip Girl and then they leak a story that Ryan Murphy is trying to buy the rights to for a Gossip Girl TV show no. or like Shonda Rhimes or something and Tavi um, is like uh, they're not taking my TV deal and shows oh. up at Mineta Tavern um, where I, I coincidentally had dinner with Hunter Harris who writes on the show <laughs> last weekend um, oh my god and Tavi shows up and is like is like um, Mr. Murphy, it's me. I'm Gossip Girl. Um, <laughs> Wait, is Ryan Murphy in it? No, because no. because <laughs> then every Murphy. like all of the teens are like, "Oh my god, it was you!" Because it was a setup. And oh. the cops come, slap some handcuffs on her, clink, clink, bitch, you're going to prison. Because she has all of this like kind of teeny porn on her phone. Because she was like cyberbullying kids and like it, like sexually harass cyber harassing yeah. cyber yeah. sexual it, harassing bad. children. So um, so anyways. what Joshua Safran has said in some interviews is that they they kind of always knew that the teachers would not be gossip girl anymore post season two um so they still would have been part of the show going forward but in in like kind of diminished capacity and there's um a post credit scene at the end of the finale in which one of the teens dad who like runs a big media company approaches one of the teachers about turning gossip girl into an app so that is probably what would have happened in the third season um 
and you know, it was, I'm sad it's it's gone. I really liked the reboot, even though it was definitely flawed. Um, and I think what they were setting up was really interesting. I, I liked some of the actors. Um, I thought that the guy who played <laughs> the slutty pansexual Max was like, really good. He had a very um, emotional moment in the finale. I really appreciated that in the back half of this second season, they started giving um, Luna, who um, is played by Zion, whose name I can't remember. The trans um, girl. The trans actress. They actually gave her a storyline, which was great. She had like a whole like thing with her mother be like um faking being latinx it was very like ilaria baldwin vibes <laughs> uh, no okay. so you know rip gossip girl um you will be missed by like 20 people probably and um <laughs> it's definitely you know they're still like hold like kind of holding out hope that the show might be saved but even joshua saffron has said it's the show is too expensive to exist anywhere else Oh, it's it's expensive. Is it's, it like it, it's the fashion? Like what, it's expensive it's, what cost, in terms the, of ensemble like, production, the the way it looks, the mm. clothes, everything. And he's just said if they had to cut the budget, it just wouldn't be the same show. And he yeah. doesn't want to make a cheaper version of it. Damn, I honestly, I felt like the reboot was totally earned. Like, I was ready for it. It just, like, it wasn't, I don't think it was for me. But RIP, I'm so sorry for your loss. Another it's, one bites, it's, another it's one bites okay. the dust. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, I'm going to be fine. I'll, um, I'll be okay. Now I have to pivot to shows that, like, won't get canceled. Oh, so you're going to, you're finally going to watch um, Fleischman in Trouble or whatever? <laughs> no. Are you watching <laughs> Fleischman in Trouble? I watched the first two and a half episodes of Fleischman in Trouble because so many people told me to watch okay, it. Okay, uh, by so many people, do you mean Justin told you to watch it? Because Justin I, and I <laughs> have talked about it, and I did not understand why he was watching it. I told him it looked like the most heterosexual thing possible in that I feel like it's the kind of show that gay people, like when they turn on their TV screens, all that they see is static. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, gay people, like, actually physically cannot see it. That's kind of how I felt. I, I'm, I, I guess it's a mini series that's maybe based on a book, question mark. It kind of feels like it's in the um, normal people genre of TV or, like, maybe um, Elena Ferrante novel genre, like, Elena Ferrante, like, adaptations where it's, like, beautiful slow stories about human heterosexual relationships and, like, you know, and I... um. I just, I feel, I feel duped because, like, in the key art of the show, like, Claire Danes and Lizzie Kaplan are the only characters shown and present. And, and then you click on the first episode and you're like, this is a story about how Jesse Eisenberg fucked his way across New York. And you're like, Ew. what the? Yeah, that's literally Jesse like, Eisenberg doesn't fuck. Yes, that's what I'm saying. And I, I, I had to watch Jesse Eisenberg fuck so many women in, like, no. a, like a few minutes. And I was like, where is Lizzie? Absolutely Where not. is Claire? Yes, I, I, I just, I didn't understand. And the writing, okay, I will, I will admit the writing is, like, really great. Like, but I, it's just about subject matter that does not concern me, right? Like, I don't watch things about men on principle most of the time, you know? And I felt like I came out of this being like, why did I, who told me that this was gonna be 
a good show. It was like, Justin because Justin had texted me several times after that initial conversation <laughs> to tell me that he was still watching Fleischman's in Trouble. Oh my god! I don't. I don't get it. I. I, I really don't. And I. I um. I want. I want these hours of my life back. Um. But yeah, I. So I, virgins I, don't watch Fleischman's in Trouble. I couldn't even bring it. I couldn't even bring myself to like hate watch it at that point because like it was like actually kind of good TV. It was just like subject matter that I hated and didn't want to watch. And okay, well this this is interesting. Do you often hate watch things? Oh, uh, all the time, baby. All Why? the time. I I constantly. Ha- if if everyone's talking about it. I need to watch it, right? Like that's why we we saw we, Bros. We are, um, that's we, why. Are, we are different women. Uh, look, uh, yeah, it's true. Okay, wait. This is actually very prevalent because I watched Real House Friends of West Hollywood or whatever the fuck. Real it's real gays. <laughs> the real gay friends of West Hollywood. Um and and so I was thinking it's, a lot they, about this hate has watching. just proved that ev- that Nympha Wars is right about literally everything, and they are <laughs> everything oracles. in the culture. They are oracles of culture. Um. Okay. Wait. I I have some thoughts about the WeHo stuff, but like real quick, like what's what is your philosophy on hate watching? Slash, you're saying you don't really do it. Yeah, I'm. I don't watch things that I don't enjoy, and I don't <laughs> understand why anyone would. Well, because I think cri- criticizing things is fun. And I think I, I personally find a lot of like, I, I, I feel satiated by watching something that other people like and then identifying why it's not good. <laughs> I could that not. Is... I could not. Could not be me. Could not be me. <laughs> I understand. I understand. And But th- that I, I will also stipulate is like only true of like gay shit, right? Like, Gay and trans shit, like shit that like is trying to be representative, quote unquote, of our community, which is like a fallacy, and like nobody should represent anyone. Like if we've like learned anything at this point so far, like the show Real House, I don't even know what it's fucking called because it's, it's so the, different. The Real Friends of WeHo. It's That's such what a it's called. It's such a word salad. Like it needs another syllable in order to mirror. Real Housewives of blah, blah, blah. you know what I mean? Like it's it's just not it's difficult. You, nobody can remember what it's called, um, but it's also just obviously really bad. It's and the thing is, it's not even that it's terrible. No, it it, it is just boring, which is yes. the worst thing it could possibly be. Because Agreed. I did, I did try. Well, not try, but I had friends come over last week to watch Drag Race and like of course we started watching it when it came on afterwards. Of course. And it wasn't even that we were like boo throwing tomatoes at the screen. We just mind-numbingly boring. It was just boring and we started talking and eventually like without even realizing it turned it off. The same thing um, I was at Ryan's this past weekend. It came on after Drag Race and he was like on the phone or something and so I watched the first couple minutes of it and just zoned out and was on my phone because it's boring. I agree and I do think that boring is the thing we should be saying because to your point Rose and this is kind of why I want to talk about like hate watching is like we're actually giving this way too much energy, right? Like, something like the real whatevers of West Hollywood is, like, not even worth the hate watch. And, like, yeah, similar to you, after Drag Race, I watched it with a bunch of friends. We were like, let's watch and make fun of it. And while we were watching it, 
And I was giggling, actually, because it is incredibly stupid. But, like, while we were watching, I was like, oh, my God, I wonder how many people are hate-watching it right now because no one in this room is enjoying the show. And is it like I was like, is it going to get great ratings because it's so it's such a hate watch and it's not because it actually is just boring but like I think just to the effect of of what you're saying like this like bizarre kind of like a weird hyper attention to the show and like what it means for the culture and like all the memes it's generating and all this stuff just like is really smelly like it doesn't mean uh, anything to the culture it's so it's so like bland and inoffensive and just it's like a yes. nothing burger it's, it's a it's nothing, nothing burger it's it's not interesting and i feel like that all the things that people are placing on top of it all the critique right this vulture article which like people were sharing on twitter like it's actually just like the show isn't even that bad it's really actually just like what i'm smelling is just internalized homophobia which is like nothing new but like we shouldn't be saying you know uh, these people are horrible and not even fucking famous and they're not even real friends and they're bad representation or whatever. It's like you could say that about any Real Housewives yes, franchise. Yes, that's, that's what I was going to say. We don't need any of that from the Real Housewives. Like, no, but we the, just need but them the, to be interesting and exciting yes, and fun to the, watch. Exactly. The Real Housewives are funny, magnanimous, irreplicable. Like, well, a good housewife is funny, magnanimous, irre- irreplicable, messy. Contro- messy, controversial, and like none of these men are any of the... Well, I think Brad Except Gresky, Todrick Hall. <laughs> no, Brad Gresky is great. Todrick Hall is, like, no, Jen Shaw level of unwatchable. Like, I mean, you don't watch Salt Lake, but, like, Todrick is the reason why this show is, like, brosing itself, right? And bros is now a verb, thanks to Billy Eichner, because, like, uh, what... The argument, to any degree, when we say, like, queer people need to support this, and if you don't support this, then you don't support queer media, it's just, like, such an anti-intellectual take that, as, like, Ty Mitchell pointed out on this podcast and tweeted about later, like, so many queer representation, quote-unquote, arguments are really just this thinly-veiled way to say, like, I'm not personally famous, but I should be. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. that is actually, like, what we were watching Todrick do online when he was writing all these, like, handwritten letters. <laughs> Which were <laughs> certainly handwritten by unpaid interns. <laughs> Because there's, like, five different fonts on them. Yeah, it's kind of wild that, like, his, that Todrick's handwriting is, like, I think it is his handwriting because, like, it's, he still has the handwriting of, like, a high school senior. Like, it's, like, like, it's, like, like, bubble letters. Yeah, like, bubble letters, like, curl. I wish all all the S's were, like, that, like, you know, the, the F, the, like, sword S that you used to draw in your notebooks in in middle school? Hearts on the eyes, like Curl's MT font. Like, I've paid every dancer I've promised payment to Curl's MT font. Well, all that means (laughs) is that he didn't didn't promise payment to a lot of people. people. Or he let them think they were going to get paid, and then it turned out that he had never intended to. Yeah, anyways, um, it's to the, all this is coming back to say, in the breadth of what I felt was worth hate-watching and what I want to say about this show is that we don't need to like patently reject it because it's like bad gay representation. We can patently reject it because it's categorically it's bad, TV. bad and boring and contrived. And like, also we just like want to watch women. Like, let's just say that. Like we, like we want to watch women on TV. Like gay men don't want to watch 
each other on TV. And I think it's because, you know, a lot of them hate themselves. And that's, like, fine. But they should work that out, like, without having to write a Vulture article. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, the idea of reading a Vulture article about real friends of WeHo just gives me hives. It literally reminded me of when the Fire Island TV show came out and that one faggot for, like, HuffPost Gay Voices, R.I.P., um, wrote something that was, like, <laughs> that wrote something that was about, like, Fire Island is, like, representative of a gay America's moral decline. And I was like, girl, I'm mean, sorry to make... Go suck a dick. Yes, Go truly, like... <laughs> suck Nick Offerman's yeah. smelly post-apocalyptic dick. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sorry to make this joke again, but I have to say again that if you are a queer person who's saying that we as queer people need to writ large, like support all queer media, then you have so many Adam Lambert albums to listen to. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> like you have a back catalog of, you know, Randy rainbow YouTube videos that I'm <laughs> no, sure need some not viewing. That, not that. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. One thing I would never hate watch is anything starring Sarah Michelle Gellar because I love her and she's never made a bad film or TV show in her life. I love um, the way you cho- you choked on that. Well, that's because I'm... She's never I'm, made a bad... That's because I'm trying to swallow oh this, dry, this dried mango I'm eating. Mm, um, I'm sure. But today we will be discussing one of her greatest contributions to culture, um, mm. Cruel Intentions. Which I have watched recently, so true, true to true to the virgins, here to represent. So, the first time I ever saw Cruel Intentions, I rented it from Blockbuster, and watched it with my dad, and I was it was came out in 1999, so it would have been like on home video in 2000, maybe. So I was. 12 
And the last thing I wanted to be doing while watching this movie was sitting next to my dad. It's a very strange movie to watch with your parent, especially a yeah. parent who you like have nothing in common with and don't I have could a, never and don't know how to talk to. But your parents were not the like throw their hands in front of your eyes kind of parents. Oh it was no, just no. Kind well, of like a well, my mom did used to tell me to cover my eyes during the sex scenes in and then sex you wouldn't in, in Sex in the City, and I would cover them and then kind of peek <laughs> through. Yeah, yeah. My parents, yes, truly, anytime we would watch, what's like a movie they made me close my eyes? Honestly, any any Mission Impossible movie. I have a v- visceral memory of like- Because of the, the violence? S- no, the sex scenes. There's always a sex scene in every Mission Impossible movie. My parents would be like, no! And I'd be like, oh, mm. I want to see Tom Cruise's dick. Uh, so do I. I, I want to suck I Tom Cruise's dick. <laughs> <laughs> he looks- the same he's he's a vampire like an ageless vampire no but he has recently he looks like he's aged a little bit but it's been good for him yeah it's been hot i i want you know seasoned men although i also loved him when he was a twink and i I, loved him when he had bad teeth i before he got those (laughs) told me before he got those top and bottom veneers mama um okay i i loved him bad teeth but like i honestly had not thought because i famously did not see top gun and i have not seen tom cruise in any recent movie but i also i was able to clue into the fact that tom cruise is hot now after he did the bloody mary dance challenge he did oh i haven't seen that you should watch it he he did the bloody mary dance well he loves gaga after after he loves loves gaga and he did it to support her at like and did it like outside his like mansion or whatever and he's he looks hot i I hate to say it what if they walk the red carpet together at the oscars oh my god you know (laughs) that my you know that i want them to be together i think that would be an award I bet that would be that would be the ultimate celebrity couple to me. Tom Cruise, a a, a person who like it, it's not even about if he's gay or not. It's just he's such a freak. It, his sexuality doesn't matter. Him being in a couple with Lady Gaga, also a freak in in just like of an opposite but parallel way. Oh my oh my. God, I want that so badly. It is an opposite but parallel way. And they both are highly susceptible to cults. They're both <laughs> totally. <laughs> they're both um they're both really good at the performance of celebrity, right? Yes. Like they both understand what being a celebrity is and like how to live and breathe that. And I also think that Gaga has this like truly like biological, like biological like impulse to like fall in love with every co-star she's ever yes, had absolutely. so so like so like because she's like stanislavski or whatever she just like can't help but like fall in love with like bradley cooper and then like tom cruise even though tom cruise is not a co-star but like you know structurally well, speaking, no but like, if she had the closest if, thing she had if tom cruise <laughs> had been the star the co-star of a star is born yeah. they would they would be in a relationship right. there's but no I, question in my I mind i mean her and bradley cooper would be in a relationship if bradley cooper wasn't gay but they allegedly you know, allegedly allegedly alleg- allegedly um yeah but i can't wait for her to fall in love with joaquin phoenix i mean it's going to be probably already happened it's, it's happening, happening right, right now it's happening literally i mean she's that not movie, doing any press right now because she's so immersed in the that process that movie is going to absolutely destroy me oh my god i'm out of coffee look at all my i had such a beautiful lip color on and now it's like all <laughs> and now it's on your coffee. now it's all on my coffee cup that's why it's you fine. gotta use a straw babe 
I gotta use a straw, yeah. Better for your teeth, too. Um, well, I forgot that we're here to talk about Cruel Intentions. We are here to talk about Cruel Intentions, um, the 1999 um, teen psychosexual thriller, which is not um, a phrase you hear often. No. Um, it is a um, reimagining of... Uh, Pierre Caudaleros de Laclos's 1782 novel Les Liaisons Dangerouses or Dangerous Liaisons as it has also been known. Right. Um, but it takes that story and updates it to the um, elite teen prep school scene in New York City in the late 90s. Sort of like an early Gossip Girl and I'm sure it had a lot of influence on Gossip Girl um, which we were talking about earlier. Um, It stars um, Sarah Michelle Gellar as um, Catherine Catherine, uh, Murtoy who is, you know, the, the queen bee, the Blair Waldorf, if you will, of her, you know, elite um, prep scene, and then she, her stepbrother Sebastian Valmont, played by Ryan Philippi, they have this sort of game they play where they seduce people and destroy them for their own shits and giggles. They also, Ryan Philippi really wants to fuck Sarah Michelle Geller, his stepsister, and she issues him this challenge that if he fucks this um, uh, new girl played by uh, Reese Witherspoon, um, and destroys her that if if he can get her to fall in love with him because, you know, she would never fall for a bad boy, um, that Sarah SMG will finally fuck him in a sort of pseudo-incest scenario. And as she tells him, you can put it anywhere. <laughs> Which I guess means he wants to fuck her in the ass. Sarah, I don't know if everyone came in with the intention to, like, make this actually, like, funny, but, like, Sarah Michelle Gellar makes this movie so funny while it's also camp. being... Yes, it but it's is also camp. still sexy, dangerous, like, yes. you know, uh, gripping, I feel. Um, I don't know if this is, like... <laughs> I'm trying to think about the the source material, the liaison dangereux or whatever, and I... The virgins maybe can Oh, the way you cur- said that, like, ha, ha, ha. Dangereux. The virgins you can sound like the this, chef I, from... <laughs> From uh, The Little Mermaid. (laughs) 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 Oh my god. Wait. I can't wait for the live action version of that character. Who's going to play that French They probably cut it. No. Timothy Chalamet would have eaten that. (laughs) Oh my god. (laughs) He would have spoken French. Oh my god. But then, anyways, okay, sidetrack, sidetrack. <laughs> um, I think that d- danger, this liaison dangereux is like spoofed uh, in um, Arrest Development, where they're like Michael Cyrus' character watches a movie called the Le Cousin, the Cousins Dangereux, where these like cousins fuck or whatever, and it gives it plants the seed of an idea where he's like wants to fuck his like step step cousin or whatever. Um, are they? Co- I can't remember. Are they cousins? Cousins in Cruel Intentions, or are they step cousins? No, no, they're step brother and stepsister. Stepbrother and stepsister, right? So they're not yes. biologically related. <laughs> they're not. No, it's totally. It's totally fine. Um, yeah, it's totally. It's fine. totally fine. It is camp. I mean, s- some of Sarah's line deliveries in this, like, I mean, when she says you can put it anywhere, when she says anywhere. I'm the Marsha fucking Brady of the Upper East Side, and sometimes I want to kill myself. <laughs> she has a she has a hollowed out cross necklace. <laughs> 
filled with cocaine <laughs> that has a tiny spoon for her to do cocaine with. This movie was... I really wish that I had had this movie as a part of, you know... The, the the small group of films that like opened up my secular awakening as we call it along with a um, Moulin Rouge rent um <laughs> if your mom other, if you had watched this with your mom and she'd seen the would, the cross the she cocaine would, cross she would have, you would have had to go through an exorcism yeah she would have expelled <laughs> me boots um yeah 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 you would have she there would have been a demon inside you and she would have gotten it out but I, I no, truly, I, I, I would have been, I would have, I would have grown up so much faster. Um, but I say that honestly because I feel like, and I don't even think I'm exaggerating when I say this. I do feel like Ryan Felipe's like ass was a pivotal moment in a lot of you know people of faggot experience. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, the, well, the combination of his ass while Love Fool by the Cardigans is playing. Oh is my God, I forgot that truly, that Truly, like, was a gay awakening for so many people on so many levels. Wait, I forgot that Love Fool is playing. Are you serious? And it gets cut off very abruptly. This, mu- this movie has a banging soundtrack. Oh my um, God. Bittersweet Symphony by The Verve. Oh. They put their whole pussy into that. Also, the opening song, Every Me and Every You, which is by Placebo, I believe. Placebo. I don't yeah. even know. I, I honestly, Roger Cumble, the guy that directed this, also did The Sweetest Thing. Sounds like Do a fag. The yeah. Sweetest Thing. Oh my, I love remember? The Sweetest Thing. I one forgot of, one of about the that best movie. Sort of like not, like, one of the best, like, kind of um, off the beaten track, like, not early yeah. 2000s comedies that like it's kind of a if you know you know thing. yeah absurdist totally stupid like totally intentionally stupid also starring um, selma blair who in that oh, movie right. is kind of the i'm not gonna say slut of the group but there is a scene in which a guy's dick is literally stuck in her mouth um, right, because of the piercing. Uh, yes. Oh my God, that is such a funny scene. I mean, Cameron is also such a slut in that movie. And I think it's very liberating. Like she also, she has a whole song about like how big the penises, how big she, how she loves big penises or whatever. Yes. And it's not even a musical, but then she like breaks out into song. It's kind of brilliant. It, it's a very strange movie. Um, but this was a strange time for mm-hmm. movies, the late yeah. 90s, early 2000s. And Cruel Intentions is... Certainly a product of that. I mean, it also came at um, an interesting time in Sarah Michelle Gellar's career because she was, in 1999, she would have been two years into doing Buffy. So this was one of her, like, sort of infrequent side projects. So at this time, um, Buffy was already, uh, like, a huge hit. Like... Uh, like now we think of Buffy as the show that has this like cult following, but at the time it was hugely successful. It was yeah. Sarah Michelle Gellar was everywhere, mm-hmm. and I do think that a lot of this movie rides on her star power for sure. And Ryan Philippi and Reese Witherspoon, honestly, at this time were still relative unknowns. Yeah. Um, they also, this was the film that they met on and um, they later got married. So it did bring them together. Wow. I didn't know that. Okay. Wait. So wait, Reese Witherspoon was unknown when this movie came out. I had no uh, not idea. unknown, but she wasn't like super famous. I think okay. I want to say election also came out in 1999. Mm-hmm. So I do feel like 
this was the year that Reese broke and yeah, um, starting I'm to sure, be a star. Yeah, and I'm sure that um, Cruel Intentions what was what really brought her to the attention of young people. And then Legally Blonde came out in 2001. So that is really what solidified her fame. Um, and I think this was probably like the first building block of that. Mm. Got it. Okay, okay. And I am, you know, an, I'm not an SMG scholar, so I, I appreciate the context because she really is, to me, like the the anchor of this movie. Like it's it, it is like an ensemble cast um, that feels like in the kind of closer genre of like you know psychosexual thrillers and absolutely all that jazz. closer Cl- closer for teens. Yes, well, teens that are played by 26 year olds, right? Like. <laughs> Yes, um, I feel. But Sarah um, Michelle Gellar, you know, she is like Buffy is such a you know she's a strong female character. She's a heroine. Mm-hmm. She's a good girl, but she's also very sassy. But mm-hmm. we hadn't really seen SMG play a bad girl since well, she was on a soap opera before she was on Buffy, and I'm sure she was like an evil twin or something because you know that's how soap operas go. Um, so she got to, you know, dip her toe into playing the bad girl. And I think she fucking slays it, pun She should play the bad girl every time. Like, she's so, so fucking good. On Buffy, she only got the chance to do that in... There's there's a couple episodes in... Well, there's one episode in season four where Buffy and Faith swap bodies. Faith oh. is another vampire slayer who's, who's evil. And mm-hmm. she and Buffy swap bodies, so Buffy gets to be a bad girl for an episode. But, um, you know, Catherine is really the the evilest Sarah has ever played, except she was in this TV show called The Ringer, where she played identical twins, and one of them was bad, maybe. <laughs> okay, so Sarah Michelle Gellar is on a press tour right now for this new Paramount show, I believe, called Wolfpack, which is um, a spinoff of Teen Wolf, and... I saw um, an interview in which she said that she thinks that Catherine from Cruel Intentions, grown up, would basically just be her character from Do Revenge. But I also think that Catherine from Cruel Intentions, grown up, would be would be um, Sonia Morgan, or like, or just would <laughs> be a, would be a, a real a, a housewife on a, a New York City housewife. <laughs> I mean, honestly, you know who else should be a New York City housewife is Christine Baranski. Please, like, or maybe she- maybe Luann is is Catherine grown up. Luann, I would love to see Luann act. She's probably so bad. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. 
big screen. I want to be remembered for just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. You mentioned Christine Baranski. There yes, are some. Yes. There are some iconic. I. I don't like uh, sm- pe- people who have like uh, just a few scenes in this film. Christine Baranski is one of them. Also, Tara Reid in the opening scene um, because uh, Sebastian. She's one of Sebastian's conquests, and he's leaked all these nudes of her online in a sort of like revenge porn scenario. And Tara Reid has the iconic line: "There's naked pictures of me on the internet," which. <laughs> Relatable. Honestly, an oracle. Uh, she she was predicting what would become an, an evident like problem in the culture of nudes leaking online. And now, you know, soon we're going to be electing people to office that have leaked nudes. That's that's my dream. Honestly, um, do you? Okay, so when you first watched this movie, was it? Do you remember just like? latching onto it immediately because I was obsessed of with SMG. It. Did you was it a rewatch for you? Did you like watch it every day after school or yeah, like what I was had, the vibe for you? I had the VHS, then the DVD. I would watch them all the time. I would quote the movie all the time. Ooh. I wanted to be Sarah Michelle Geller in this movie. I knew immediately that I was not a Reese Witherspoon. I was not a good girl. I was a bad no. girl. No, no, no. And Reese honestly cloy- is cloyingly sweet. She almost does what she does best, which is like to be good to an exhaustive degree. Like she is so pure that it's like annoying. Um, I was watching this movie with my friend. I was watching Cruel Intentions with my friend for the first time, and we were remarking on there's this scene where Reese is like in a car with like that with I think Ryan Felipe as they're like flirting Sebastian. and trying to. F- yeah. Yes, yes, yes. And she like starts to make. She like makes a oh the demon face. face. She's so, she's so bad at making a goofy face. Like, I actually, like, if I was a director and I was watching, I was like, Reese, like, you, you need to do something else. Like, it's Oh, no, I think that scene is charming. I think it's cute. No, but I do, I just don't think she knows how to make a face that is, like, goofy and evil at the same time. Like, I just, like, I was like, clearly it's, like, not in your nature to do this Reese Witherspoon. Uh, I thought it was, like, endearing, almost. Um, I'm not trying to be condescending. Except um, you, but it <laughs> might not be what you're trying to do, but it's what you're doing. <laughs> but it's what you're doing. Um, oh, Selma, okay, Phoebe just clued us into Selma Blair and Legally Blonde. Or wait, yes. was that Well, earlier? I mean, Selma Blair was definitely an it girl at the time that this movie came out and remained one for years. Mm-hmm. Um, she also, she and Sarah Michelle Gellar are lifelong friends. Um, mm-hmm. Sarah has supported her a lot recently because Selma... Um, a couple years ago, uh, you know, revealed that she has been dealing with a chronic illness, I believe MS. Mm. Um, she was on, I think, the most recent season of Dancing with the Stars, although they do like four of them a year. So mm. there could have been like two more seasons since she was on it. Um, she was on, 
she, I don't think she was on the same season as Jojo Siwa. But I think she was on the Jojo same season Smith. as Smith Jared from Sex and the City. Smith Jared. Oh my God. The one, he, he was my, my fave Sex and the City boo, unfortunately. This movie has an iconic same-sex kiss between Sarah Michelle Gellar and Selma Blair in which Sarah Michelle Gellar is, you know, saying that girls practice on each other all the time and they have this very hot kiss that was, I think, probably the thing that people remember most from this movie because it was, in a pre-meme world, it was a meme. Like, it was replicated in movies. I think there's... I think in one of the scary movie films, they spoof it. Um, Sarah Michelle Gellar and Selma Blair won Best Kiss at the MTV Movie Awards, I think. Oh, right. And maybe even, like, kissed on stage. Um, it's. I think it's a good kiss. I. It remind me, is there, like, a little spit dribble? There is a little. Yeah. They are, yes. That's what is, I remember. Which is hot. It's and hot. We, and- we have talked about spit kinks recently, yes, haven't we? Yes, uh, on uh, on our dis- disobedience episode. Yeah, I will say, like when I watched it, I felt like it was. It definitely was hot. It definitely did to me feel like exactly in this era of culture when like straight women kissing was this like sexual kind of phenomenon that like got boys really rowdy. Like we were kind of talking about this in our Jennifer's Body episode, but like. Do you remember, do you remember, like, when you would go to, like, Walmart or Target or whatever to, like, buy movie posters or, like, just, like, posters for your yes. room? And well, I, would, the, I would buy them at Hot Topic. Yes, Hot Topic as well. But one of those posters was always those two girls in, like, gray, like, underwear or whatever, like, kissing on a bed. Do you remember this image? No. Like, oh, my God. But it, But anyways, all I'm trying to say is, like, there was just, like, this very bizarre era of culture that, like, talked about lesbians and erased lesbians at the same time. It was, right. like, well, it so was, weird. It was, it was lesbianism from the male gaze. Right. Which, it, that's yeah. the thing. Exactly. You know, le- lesbians only existed in popular culture to titillate straight men. Yeah, exactly. But, but this, I felt, like, was something that we could still embrace. Like, it was queer. Like, it was, like, totally, like... This, this, I think, to me, this movie and, like, what it did best was, like, revel in hedonism, right? Like, mm-hmm. it was, like, this is, what is the maximum bad you can be? Like, well, well, revel in it. Step, yes. Revel in it, but still, but cast it as evil because what yeah. we, because the journey of this movie is that Sebastian starts out as a hedonist, falls in love, and then rejects hedonism, and is punished for his hedonistic lifestyle because he, spoiler Mm. alert, dies at the end. And Catherine, who sort of drove him to this, gets her comeuppance when all all of Sebastian's diaries are, 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 like, uh, disseminated throughout the school. (laughs) Which is so so bizarre. It is a movie that, that celebrates hedonism, but then takes this very puritanical view of it and... Mm you know, the only love that is celebrated and upheld is, you know, straight monogamous romantic love. <laughs> and 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 what more could we possibly wish for than straight monogamous romantic love? It's, that what, is I, like, it's what, that's the reason I'm on Tinder, babe. Yeah, I mean, I know like heterosexual, I, 
I know I'm aware as that you, like as you adjust your Lex my I, sweatshirt. A, I'm aware that like heterosexuality is like slowly but surely becoming like illegal in this country. Like with hope, like it will be like a criminal offense um, one day. But lock like, them I'm, up. For now, I will be practicing heterosexuality to the fullest extent that I can. Um, Interesting. I don't, yeah, I <laughs> okay. love being heterosexual. Um, oh, you know what? It's not. It's not scary movie that parodies the this. It's not another teen movie. Which did you ever watch that? No. Was it? It seemed like I. Okay. I always like was horny. Whenever I saw it in Blockbuster, it made me horny. So not another teen movie is. There was a, a after the success of Scary Movie, there was a string of these sort of spoof films for different genres. The first of them, and I think most successful, was Not Another Teen Movie, which was Chris Evans's breakout role. Right, he plays the like jock, you know, main character right. who is like half Freddie Prince Jr. and she's all that, and half. Ryan Phillippe in Cruel Intentions. Right. He has, like, a similar thing with his stepsister where he wants to fuck her. Right. Um, And um, there is a scene of the lesbian kiss, and they, they, like, go really in on the the spit thing, and it's, like, to a a gross level. (laughs) That actually sounds really funny. Um, I kind of want to watch that now. Um, It's a a good movie. I used to watch it a lot. I I had it on DVD and I used to watch it a lot. And I I had a a teen crush on Chris Evans because of it. Well, I think the teen genre in general, like in the vein of Cruel Intentions or whatever else we want to pull into it, like I think it's like endlessly entertaining to revisit. Like I watched a lot of Riverdale. Like I've watched four seasons, like four full seasons of Riverdale, right? Like I've, I think teen shit and the exaggeration of like how bad teen lives can be, like or by bad I mean like how um, – daring, controversial, irreverent you can be, like, in this kind of, like, hot topic era of culture is, like, so funny to look at now. Like, I've actually never seen the movie, um, 13, but that's kind of in this genre. Fran, you have to watch 13. Oh, my God. No, You're not allowed to say that because you don't understand the context. I've seen the scene on YouTube and I felt like that was the No, but you need to watch the whole movie. No, 13 is so incredible. It inspired me to huff as a teenager. (laughs) (laughs) It inspired me to huff. You need to watch. Like inhalants? You, like yeah. barbitch, barbituates yes. or whatever. Yes. Like you, you wanted need, to, like like Judy, like the way Aris- Judy like Garland died, and like um <laughs> like whippets with um whipped cream cans. Not anyway, whippets. You know, t- today, like I know we were just talking about Gossip Girl and how I liked the reboot, but for the most part, I can't watch media yeah. about teenagers. We have discussed yeah. this at length. It's the reason why I don't watch Euphoria. Right. Um. But you know, like. Things like Euphoria and Gossip Girl truly would not exist without Cruel Intentions. Like, truly, it, truly, it is the blueprint. I think so. Yeah, I, I, or maybe also, what, what, I actually have never seen like Dawson's Creek. But like, are any of those shows like Dawson's Creek, OC? Like, is that era of TV also this kind of like teens being like murderous drug dealers or whatever? Like, no, no, Dawson's Creek. I didn't watch Dawson's Creek, but I believe Dawson's Creek is much more. Um, 
it, it doesn't reach that level. Okay. It's okay. much more like interpersonal drama and like family drama. Okay, um, okay. And I also didn't watch the OC, but I know the OC is like not quite at that level. I think Gossip Girl is kind of where we started seeing um, where we got the most of teens behaving like adults. Yes, and specific, specifically because of their access to or proximity to wealth. Mm, oh, okay. Yeah, wait, how does wealth, like, kind of exist in Cruel Intentions, I guess? Just because well, they're all, they're all, they're all very school. wealthy. You know, right. they, they have um, unlimited resources and no parental supervision. So they right. are... Oh, it's, yeah, it's the par- no parental supervision. That's yeah. the big thing. It's like the richer you are, the less parent involvement you have in your day-to-day. Oh. That was the one difference on Gossip Girl is that their parents were some in the original Gossip Girl is that their parents were someone involved and the parents were actual characters on the show who had their own romantic dramas and like their own plot lines. But, you know, for the most part, the kids did act like adults. They were like going clubbing and like having these, like, making these, like, grand schemes that were obviously, like, in a way fueled by being teenagers, being dumb teenagers with, like, raging hormones. But because they had unlimited resources, they could, you know, concoct these, like, elaborate schemes and behave like, you know, um, 18th century aristocrats having, you know, like, um, intrigues. Yeah, honestly. I mean, like, it was... I think that, like, experiencing, even though I didn't see Cruel Intentions as a kid, like, when this, like, genre of kind of, like, TV films, whatever, was, like, coming through, I feel like I I could attach, I feel like it was so aspirational to me. This is, like, really dark, but, like, I, you know, was a very unhappy kid. I did not enjoy my childhood, and a lot of that had to do with my parents, and so... These lives without parents, which I think are are present in a lot of like teen and kid, you know, uh, uh, like things like I, you know, I wanted that so bad. I wanted a life without parental supervision. I wanted a life for my own. And they would give us this fantasy wherein kids were like teens were fully capable of doing it. Where in reality, it's like teens actually do still behave like children. Like none of them actually act like this. And so... You know, it was a fantasy, but I loved that shit. Oh, you know what we do have to talk about is the gay stuff in Cruel Intentions. Um, oh. J- Joshua Jackson of Dawson's Creek fame plays Sebastian's gay friend who helps him entrap Betty's boss from Ugly Betty into oh, Daniel into, into being outed as gay so yes, that so that so that Ryan Philippi can use him to like get get into Reese Witherspoon's good graces. Oh my god, I forgot that Daniel Mead is in this. Uh, yeah. He makes a great sucking Dan. dick and cock. Sucking dick and cock. Absolutely. Um yeah, I mean gay blackmail 
bring it back. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> bring we're it back. now we're too like cancel culture, like like representation matters to have that kind of. We gotta bring back just media. good old fashioned blackmail. <laughs> we do. I would, Fran, blackmail I would, and I would blackmail you any day. Oh my god, thank you. I would love to blackmail you. I would love to out you as trans. I mean, <laughs> thank you. I think we we have both emotionally blackmailed each other before, <laughs> no. somewhat successfully. No, that can't be true. It's um, true. It's no. true. And you know what? I think that's beautiful. I think, and I think that's beautiful. Um, wow. I mean, like, I honestly like. I'm. I'm. I felt like when I watched this movie, I was like watching it through your eyes. Can I say that? Like because we. Oh had my already... god! My eyes. They're gone. <laughs> <laughs> the viewer. The, the the virgins at home can't see, but Rose's eyes are now gushing blood. Um, They're now gone, and I'm like the Corinthian from Sandman. I just have little teeth in my <laughs> yeah, eyes. Yeah, you're, you're giving Pan's labyrinth. Or your eyes are on your hands. Um. No, I was just gonna say like because we've been doing this show for a while, and because you know. I'm the version, so to speak. When I, like, in these, you know, in our, in the episodes that we've released so far, like, you know, I'm not always the virgin. We like to just talk about what we like to talk about. But when I am the virgin, I feel, you know, I'm always just like, oh, I wonder what, like, like, I wonder how Rose would think about this scene. Oh, you feel close to me? I feel close to you. Anytime I I consume something like this, this very, this is a kind of Rose movie to me. Oh, absolutely. This movie, movie. This movie was incredibly formative to my personality. I wanted to be Catherine. I wanted to be an evil, manipulative bitch who would fuck her stepbrother, blackmail people, destroy their reputation. Snort cocaine out of your crucifix. And snort cocaine out of my hollowed out crucifix. Please slide into our DMs at like a virgin for 2069. Tell us, do you want to fuck your stepbrother? Um, have you ever <laughs> have you ever blackmailed someone for being gay? And what is your favorite um, Sarah Michelle Gellar media property? Um, wait, wait, wait! I actually would love to know the answer to those first two questions. If any of the versions want oh, yeah. to share, like, yeah, we're being fully, sure. we're being fully serious, and we yeah. will um, we we'll won't delete your, your messages after you send them, but we won't use them against you. Um, no, we won't. Next week, we will be back with a discussion on Dolly Parton, the woman, the myth, the legend. Um, so, uh, you know, join us for that. Yeehaw. Uh, you can um, connect with us on Instagram at Like a Virgin for 2069. Um, my uh, handle is at Rose Dom. You can follow me anywhere online there. And I'm Fran Torado. You can find me at Friends Squishgo anywhere you like. Like a Virgin is an iHeartRadio production. Our producer is Phoebe Unter with support from Lindsay Hoffman and Nikki Etor. Until next week. It's a bittersweet symphony that's live. <laughs> Trying to make ends meet. You're a slave to money till you die. Why did I sing that as if I was the lead singer of Nickelback? That I Well you're kind of yeah, you there is a kind of Nickelbackian quality. Look at this photograph! But it also kind of sounds like Gaga. Like, you know how Gaga sometimes goes, like, full Nickelback? And she's like, yeah. you know what I mean? 
Um, oh, okay. oh, I know what you mean. I do. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.